0: And so that I think get rid of the nymphs in October, fish your dry flies, you can move the bug around, you can dead drift it, you can fish a big October caddis, but you also need to be looking at gray drakes, parachute atoms is a great imitator for that. You can have really nasty cold days and be looking at blue-winged olives as well. So it's really awesome dry fly fishing. Low water means the fish don't have to move a million miles. Uh, that short-wing stone fly, which is, is not a good flyer, has pushed fish to the edges.
1: That was Chris Dodders providing some fall trout fishing bugs that you should be on the lookout for this season. The October caddis and their friends today on the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. Hey, how's it going today? Thanks for stopping by the Fly Fishing Show. Please take a quick moment and share this episode with one other person that you think can use a blast of trout uh, goodness today. Uh, just click the link, the share link in your app down below and, uh, and share that. Just send a text message out to somebody right now and they should be able to click right through and listen to this one. It's a good one. Chris breaks down uh, the fall fall trout fishing today, so definitely stay in on it. Before we get started, let's hear from our sponsor, Togans Fly Shop, providing superior products at an affordable price. An amazing resource for fly tying materials, tools, and fishing accessories. Since 2005, Togans has been over delivering on price, service, and passion. And now it's time to discover the Togans buzz for yourself. Head over to wetflyswing.com slash Togans to get started today. You support this podcast by clicking over to take a look at Togans online. That's wetflyswing.com slash Togans T-O-G-E-N-S. Togens. Chris Daughters, owner of the Caddis Fly Shop, sheds a little bit of insight on what it takes to find trout in the fall. Uh, we focus on some of the upper parts of the Mackenzie River today and fishing out of a drift boat. We find out which October caddis he uses and how he fishes them, his favorite leader setup, which crosses over towards the Euro game. And we also find out what happened when uh, this blog post about fly names uh, went viral. Uh, So this is kind of an interesting thing that was kind of out, and uh, Chris describes his take on it, which is actually a really good one. I think it's a real positive take on everything there. So, um, yeah, so stay tuned for that one. Uh, this and the stonefly with a hermaphroditic tinge. So without further ado, here is Chris Daughters from caddisflyshop.com. How's it going, Chris?
0: Doing very well, Dave. Thank you.
1: Yeah, thanks for thanks for putting this together. Uh, uh, it took us a few seconds there to get the, the audio together, but uh, we, we got you on, on the squad cast here uh, recording, so this is, this is good. Uh, we're going to jump into the... The Caddisfly Shop, uh, the Oregon Fishing Blog, and, you know, you guys are kind of leading the way down there in in Oregon and, you know, I guess more towards the south and all that. But um, before we jump into that and a little bit on maybe kind of fall fishing, talk about how you first got into fly fishing. Uh, I
0: first got into fly fishing uh, actually with my father at uh, at the Caddisfly, the same store that I ended up buying. Um, We both took a fly fishing course. Uh, from Bob Gard and Jeff Carr and uh, a bunch of guys, uh, great guys that were working at the shop at the time um, and, you know, learned to cast in in the traditional sort of Mel Krieger short uh, but sweet fly fishing, fly casting course. It was about a six hour course. And um, I mean, honestly, right from there on, I remember my father buying a drift boat uh, and fishing the mckenzie constantly we were we were already fishing the mckenzie con- with conventional tackle but then when once we got into fly fishing uh he quickly realized that when you're on the oars you're not casting so uh got me on the oars and him up front casting and that was uh that was sort of the night ne- the next step was uh, suddenly i realized that i was guiding before i could drive and uh that, that was fantastic that was that that was the next part of that career but i mean i literally walked from school to the caddisfly from age 12 till I could begin to drive from school to the caddisfly And, uh, t- from that class of casting, took another course on, um, tying flies and then started tying commercial elk care caddis for $9 a dozen, believe it or not, wow. which was great, which was great money at the, you know, 13, 14, 15. <laughs> so that was a blast. So it was really the, the shop was really my support center. Um, I was there more time than I was anywhere else. If I wasn't, if I wasn't at the river, I was at the shop and, um, it was a great experience then. And, and I still really enjoy it.
1: No, that's cool. I didn't realize that, uh, there was somebody there. I didn't know the whole history on the shop. So, so the guys there, do you know a little bit of that history? Like when, when the shop actually, when those guys started it? Well, Bob and
0: Kathy guard started in 1975. um, uh, a little bit longer than a stone's throw away from where the shop is now but we've been in four locations in and around downtown eugene since 1975 we've been in the current location since 91 uh, which is on sixth avenue it's a it's it's a great you know uh, thoroughfare so it's a good location um yeah so that the the shop and the and the history of the shop are uh, kind of ingrained into eugene i mean all the local fishing clubs and I've been really supportive and, and local community and and uh, hopefully we've we've done the same giving back as much as we can so it's yeah it's it's been a, f- a great environment for the caddis fly to be in since 1975 I and mean, we've had there is another fly shop in town and of course there's a cabela's and all the all the same stuff that everybody else is experiencing but um really have been fortunate to you know have all the best brands and names and support in the industry so it's been it's been a great situation
1: yeah definitely yeah no i mean i think you're you know the well the oregon fly fishing blog too right i mean you're well known uh, that resource is out there for sure all the videos and you know and, and the the good resource there so it's been um you know it makes sense that you're you know you're one of the big names when people think probably you know in that area if not you know the region Um, so, okay. And so basically what year was that when you purchased, uh, took over the shop? In
0: 1996. So I was about 26 at that time. Um, and Bob was, was ready to move on. I mean, I think he'd been into the, so that puts him at 21 years in in retail. Um, and, and he was really involved throughout, you know, um, which is, which I think is, can wear on people. Um, I've been lucky to have a, a little different circumstance, and like I said, I still really enjoy retail. But the 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 store was uh, you know in, in great in great shape, but no online presence, uh, and kind of the online thing in fly fishing was just kicking in. Um, and we we actually had a brief partnership with with another sort of more tech savvy person uh, in the early two thousands. And then, kind of started on our own in earnest in, in late two thousand seven, two thousand eight, and and that was also about the same time that Oregon Fly Fishing Vlog uh, kicked in. And that was a, a guy named Matt Stansbury, who's since moved to the eastern United States, but is still a good buddy and you know still has some great advice uh, if I if I ask him. <laughs> um, he's an awesome writer, and uh, he's still he's still active in his own local community, but uh, was really. Uh, the, as, as co-founder of Oregon Fly Fishing Blog, he, he was, you know, a great guy and uh, got us, you know, involved in sort of conservation projects and contests and more, you know, so savvy internet stuff. Uh, and, and I've had to learn all of that. You know, I, I really honestly came in absolutely blind. And, and uh, that's, that's been, as, as many of us have had to kind of grow with, with that part of business world in the last 20 or you know, 15 years or so it's been, it's been fascinating.
1: And, and who is that again that helped you with the, the online stuff? Well, he, Matt, Matt really helped me
0: with Oregon fly fishing blog. And that was Matt who? Matt Stansberry. Okay. And, and he's, you can still find Matt. I mean, Matt is still writing a lot. Um, he's in North Carolina right now, but, uh, He's, he's just a fantastic writer. I mean, I would suggest to anybody that can find his stuff, or of course, there's a lot of stuff on Oregon Fly Vision blog that people will know, but uh, he, he's, he's just, he's really got a great style, his
1: writing. And when we look at the blog, uh, you know, and I want to just touch on that just kind of quickly, because I think it is a good resource. How? You know, how would you recommend if somebody wanted to find some topics is it best just to start from the most recent stuff or is there a way to search it sounds like there's many years of of, of content there is there an easy way to find what you're looking for
0: yeah there is a there is a search tab uh, that that you can utilize but there's also those um you know where you can attribute or attribute the the post to a topic. and those topics are on the right hand side in a column. so they can be fishing reports, conservation, black videos, Mackenzie River Deschutes River, uncle river. so you can you can see those and click on those, and that will kind of drill it down. Um, but but you can type in anything. I mean you know you can put in spay lines or sink dips or whatever matches or fishing reports, and that's gonna that's going filter it a little bit for sure.
1: So if you wanted to search for, say, for example, uh, fall uh, fishing, fall trout fishing, October caddis or something like that, could you find some articles there? For sure. For sure. October caddis would be a really
0: good one. Yeah. You get videos and fishing reports there. Oh, good.
1: Good. And the videos are, are the videos more like flight time videos and, or do you actually have stuff out on the water?
0: No, they're all going to be like flight time videos primarily. Uh, Very little on the water. Yeah. And, uh, and our our flight tank videos you know they're not they're not studio quality as many in the industry have really stepped that up, which is awesome um but uh you know i think our our content has been uh genuine and uh proven about that
1: <laughs> well the when we'll t- hopefully talk about this if we have time I know jay Nicholas, i know and he's been a big part of right a lot of the videos over the years. Uh um, Yeah, absolutely. And, and, he's awesome. and he's known as one of the yeah, <laughs> definitely one of the passionate, you know, one of the best out there as far as what he does. So this is that's good. Um okay, so so that gives a, a little taste and so basically it's since 96 uh you've been going there and it sounds like you do a little bit of the the guiding, a little bit of everything in the shop and you have staff. How many staff do you have there?
0: We have about 10 um right now and uh, and I mean, it's sort of rem- yesterday was interesting. It reminds me of sort of my my start. We had a, a kid, uh, Owen, who's worked for us for the last uh, summer spring summer, and you know he's going out to college and I was like I was kind of thinking like the Cadispiles always had like a history of, of hiring young, young kids. you know I was one of them. you know we'll, we, we'll virtually break labor laws here in the 13, 14, 15 year old kids get them get them into the store. At, you know, they're passionate, they're, they want to learn, they'll, they'll do anything. You know, I remember, you know, being in a, you know, windowless storage room, pouring bulk cement into glass jars, uh, you know, mothballing giant bag, you know, 20 by 20 boxes of marabou. Uh, (laughs) we'll do anything because, because we love it, you know, and trying to, to, and you glean all the, the information that you can from the, from the guys that work there.
1: Exactly. So, so you're still able to do that. Can you actually take a, a kid and, and get them in there, uh, uh you know, <laughs> legally or whatever? Yeah, no, you can. Yeah. So I mean, Owen
0: is old enough, but, uh, yeah, we do. And I, I think that's, uh, I, I like that about a fly shop. Always you got to have that. You got to have those, that young energy around for sure.
1: And how did that feel when you first, uh, in 96, when you, you know, you purchased actually officially purchased the shop?
0: It was awesome. I mean, it was, uh, you know, in a, like maybe 10 years prior, you know, that was like a dream to be truthful. I mean, I I was not, that wasn't really on my radar. I wasn't I wasn't thinking that could ever happen. I mean, I had like a, I had a 1976 Dodge pickup uh, to give to collateral to the SBA uh, for my application. So it was uh, not not really, uh, I mean, there wasn't really a lot uh, of financial backing there. So yeah, it worked out good. And you know, Bob made it, made it happen too them which was good, good of him so it's been fantastic i mean i've just been so lucky that the you know the river runs through it part of it was was uh, phenomenal was that
1: about that time when you first bought it it
0: seemed like it seemed like it was in there yeah yeah um and you know that was like when the store was going absolutely bonkers and you know you just had so many people getting into the sport and then after after that you know you, you kind of saw the internet come around and you know that's been that's been great as well so i think i've been in a you know timing wise a great a great time in in the fly fishing business um and locally we are just super fortunate to have a a kind of a growing community the university of oregon around us two rivers that run right through town a tremendous amount of fishing in oregon as you know so it's it's a pretty idyllic situation
1: well, I wanted to dig into, you know, there are a lot of things we could dig into. Obviously, there's steelhead fishing and there's a bunch of rivers, like you said, up there. I, I was kind of thinking the, you know, obviously the caddis fly shop, you've got the caddis all the day. The, the fall caddis, if we had to dig into a topic, is kind of interesting to me because, you know, caddis are an important species out there. Um, you know, if you take us, maybe take us to the river and think of that fall, you know, as you're preparing, say, for that October fishing can you kind of just take us to the water and I don't know if it's the McKenzie like where would you be going would you be hitting the in the fall would you be hitting the McKenzie or the Willamette what would you be doing
0: Well I like I like both drainages uh, uh but in the upper reaches a little bit I mean it de- depending on how cool that water in the lower end has gotten and how fast you know like later in the fall the lower McKenzie and lower Willamette are going to fish well but my personal favorite would be to get in kind of that upper reaches of the upper McKenzie, say, you know, from milepost 50 in that range, 10 miles up or 10 miles down on highway 126. Or if you're going to talk the middle fork, of the Willamette, we're going to be near the town of Oak Ridge. And, And both of those are fantastic fall caddis fisheries. But I have to, I have to mention, and there's a, this is one of my, this has been probably the last 10 years or so, but prior to the October caddis, but still in the fall, is that short wing stonefly, which I think I first encountered, um, in Idaho, uh, South Fork of the Boise, but has grown in importance in, in my tactics locally. Uh, very interesting bug Arlen Thompson discusses it in his book, bug water. You don't find a lot of other discussions about it though. It's a largely nocturnal stonefly that occurs in the fall. And it is, it is really good fishing. I mean, it's an underrated emergence of stoneflies uh, for, in, in terms of when, when I talk to people about it, I don't, I don't hear a lot of people who really have it dialed in. So I'm going to be thinking like that in, in kind of early fall. And then of course, as we get on and we start seeing October caddis, uh, you know, you can fish anything orange and and have a shot for sure.
1: And early fall is for that, um, that the stonefly, what, what is early fall? Is that like, uh.
0: First two weeks of September is is uh, is the beginnings, and on, on often it is well over with by October first. So it's it's earlier than the October caddis, and the October caddis can drag on into November for sure. We've had we've had mild falls, or early winters where you can have great dry fly fishing well well down into the lower
1: Mackenzie and Willamette
0: on October caddis.
1: That's right. So basically October caddis, and once you hit, it is October still. I mean, that, that hasn't changed. You can still. That hasn't changed. You can
0: start, you can, you know, you can fish October caddis as early as the first couple of weeks of September for sure. Um, but I typically, I'm going to, I'm going to see that happening around the 1st of October and, and through mid November, assuming water conditions don't blow out, which I'm kind of, which
1: I'm kind of hoping they do this year because we need some water. back. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So, well, let's just stay on the Mackenzie since that's, you know, we have a few a couple rivers we could fish. But if we talk about that Mackenzie, that upper, kind of the upper reaches. So, talk about, you know, again, let's maybe go back on the river. And are you guys doing the drift boats? Is that pretty much how you're fishing?
0: Yeah, we do. Um, I actually ha- I have one of those outcast ambush rafts as well for, um, you know, for a single guy in super low water. But yes, drift boats are 99% of what we do. Uh, we have a guide service that, that does the upper Mackenzie and a lot of the guys do that upper river. Um, and it's sort of technical boating, you know, lots of rocks to hit, lots of rocks to avoid, but all, that also means that there's a ton of pocket water, a ton of great, you know, all day fishing. Like you don't, you don't like sit down, you can be casting literally the entire day in that upper end. It's awesome. Uh, good, good wild fish, rainbows and cutthroats and uh, spectacular scenery. Um, so it's a great stretcher river.
1: Okay. So, so basically that puts us there. So you're on the water and as you're going down, I guess it depends on the water levels, but you know, maybe just start us off with the flies first. If you're, if we're talking that caddis, I mean, are you guys kind of focusing on, you know, fishing a bigger bug there with a dropper? How, what's that look like? Your setup?
0: Well, you can, uh, you can fish hopper dropper where, and, and we do a lot all spring and summer with a chubby Chernobyl and a, you know, like a Euro style jigged nymph that's become kind of the favorite tactic but you know i've had some awesome days where uh you know we'll do like a foam bodied october caddis i think that's moorish foam october caddis or um a really big orange elk hair you know cut the nymphs off i mean i think it's the t- i think it's that time of year where you you you've got to just be a little more disciplined about your dry fly fishing <laughs> and uh, talk yourself into as a guide of just get rid of the nymph you know you don't need it anymore. Um, those fish are looking up. You have lower lower sun angles. You have those overcast days, even on the cool mornings um, late in October. I have often been very surprised at how good the dry fly fishing is. When, you know, when, even when it's really cold, and I, I think a lot of times you have those bugs struggling to move as well, and the fish know it. And so, the, I, I I think get rid of the nymphs in October. Fish fish your dry flies. You can. You can move the bug around. You can dead drift it. Uh, you can you can fish a big October caddis, but you also need to be looking at gray drakes. parachute atoms is a great imitator for that. You can you can have really nasty cold days and be looking at blue winged olives as well. So it's it's really awesome dry fly fishing. Low water means the fish don't have to move a million miles. Uh, that short wing stonefly, which is a, a it's not a good flyer, has pushed fish to the edges because they're looking for those bugs on the edges. Uh, October caddis the same they, you know, you've got fish that have moved over to the edge of the river. So you, you don't, you don't have any trouble finding fish on October caddis adults in very shallow water near the shore. You've got salmon spawning, uh, first few weeks of, uh, that, that kind of third week of September that's in full swing. So again, trout move over to the edges. And, uh, I just think it's a great time to be fishing dry flies, uh, large mid to large size, October caddis. It's a great time of year.
1: There you go. So, yeah, Yeah. and that's, uh, those are some good tips. Basically. Yeah. The, the edges is, I mean, when you're floating down, is that typically when you're in the drift boat? Uh, I mean, there's probably areas where you find structure, but is that like 80% of the time you're fishing, you're drifting middle of the river and casting towards the bank?
0: Well, I would say that's actually where the, yes, I I wouldn't say that we don't do that, but I would say that's where the McKenzie kind of differs from some of the uh, Rocky streams. You know, we're not, we're not 100% directed at that. Um, The McKenzie is really a salmon, a Chinook salmon river is how I think about it. It's historically the, the salmon were, and I hope continue to be kind of the key ingredient to that river's success. So, those spring chinooks come up in May and June and July. They sit down in the deepest, coldest pools of that upper river, and you know those big trout do the same thing, right? So when they're in the midsummer, when they've got splash and giggle traffic over them all summer in a pretty in pretty low water, I'm really convinced that those fish move to that deep green water, and that's where they settle. Now, do they go out on the edges in the fall? Yes, but the, some of those fish still hang in that deep green water. They'll still come up. But there's no doubt you want to concentrate on fishing, you know, mid mid river around giant boulders or some just gorgeous, you know, sort of volcanic structure up there in mid river mid river that I'm I'm definitely going to fish it to fish to.
1: Okay. So, so basically you're, you're open to fish. You're not just focused on the bank. There's going to be some areas, especially. You're really
0: not. You're really not. Yeah. I mean, I think that sometimes when that short wing stonefly hatch happens, that's, you know, you're, you're going to need to do that. But I, but as you move into October caddis time, you, you need to be looking everywhere.
1: Okay. And, and that's that short wing stonefly. So you mentioned the bug water book. I'll put a, um, a link in the show notes to that book so we can dig into that. But that's, yeah, I think I've seen those as well. I mean, those are, they're basically don't have, it's almost, they don't have a wing, right? I mean, it's just super tiny. They, they can't fly or anything, right? I think it's the male
0: that can't fly at all. Um, and that book, by the way, you know, I mean, I grew up with Western hatches, just you know, like referencing it constantly. Dave Hughes and Rick Hathaway, you know, it was just an awesome book. But to me, that's the modern Western hatches. Uh, and he does such a great job of explaining it in, you know, non-entomologist terms. Um, I can't, I I can't recommend that book anymore. I mean, it's just so, it's so good.
1: I'm excited for that book. That's great. Yeah. Because Western Hatches is kind of like one of the, you know, the big, yeah, exactly. It is kind of the bio, but there's actually, this one's actually newer. So this, this has come out since then.
0: Yes. Oh, much. Yeah. No, no. And Arlen had like fish tanks in his front yard. He was running water through for bugs. And (laughs) I mean, he did, he, he's, he's a, really
1: worked at it it's tremendous is he like local down there or yeah yeah oh nice that's perfect okay well that's like that's a killer resource so and i think i'm not sure we may have joked about you know when we're on the river like i I think maybe it's a hermaphrodite i'm not sure if that if that's what that that short wing stonefly is but i remember i was talking to somebody i think uh, one of my buddies shannon was mentioning that that you know Cause we'd see them on the Deschutes as well. Right. Crawling cool. around at, at night. Yeah. So yeah. Just like you said, you'd see them at night they'd pop out and they, wow, these things, what's the deal with these, these stoneflies and they're good size, right? They're pretty, they're, they're not like. They really are. Yeah. They're, they're like a golden, you know, like a diffuse golden stone size. Yeah. Cool. So, so in, is it Arlen? Arlen, A-R-L-E-N. Thomason. Thomason. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. I'll definitely, uh, that'll be awesome to get a little background on that. So Well, it sounds like we're getting a little feel for it. So you're floating down and you guys do what you do a lot of day trips. Is that kind of the typical guide trip you do up there in the fall? Yeah, we do. You know, we don't do any overnight stuff. And that is one thing about the fall.
0: It's fantastic is that kind of midday is the best. You know, you can can start earlier, but your best fishing can often be between 10 and 4. And when you lose that sun... Uh, completely, and that cools down. It can shut down pretty quickly, especially late in October um, on the on the upper river. You've got a little bit of elevation, and you lose all your heat. And you know, I, I think those fish definitely feed midday more than any time. And I'm talking later, later October, mid to late October when I say that.
1: Mid to late October, yeah. yeah. So if you're out there in late September, you could st- it could still be a hundred degrees, right? Like depending, maybe not a hundred.
0: Yeah, but it, it it's. And I think, I think, again, you lose some traffic and you lose a little bit of that light uh, right overhead and you've got the salmon going. So those fish, those fish tune in pretty early
1: in September. So again, we're going back to that. So you mentioned the Moorish. I think he has. He must have a foam like an October caddis, but there's some flies. But you're saying don't be afraid to just cut off your hopper dropper and just go straight with the standard caddis. How do you know when when to go with that caddis? I mean, are you seeing them just when you see them around? Is that time to switch to just the caddis?
0: Yeah, I think I think you're seeing you're seeing some caddis. The the upper river has a, a more metolius river like bottom structure and insect population so we have a variety of mid-size rust colored caddis throughout the year and then it and 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 that will those will still be going on in the fall and then so i don't i don't i don't think that it's just that prevalence of the of the october caddis that that makes these fish go up i think it's a it's a variety of conditions as well as insects because a lot of times, the October caddis—it's not like you get to view fish smashing these things as they're dead drifting down, you know, on the, on the bank. It's just that they—they're rarely available to fish much of the year. But they do when they do oviposit, or lay their eggs. They're—they're they're really dapping and really active, and that, that just turns those fish's heads up to look at anything. And so I think once that begins, in—and in, you can start fishing a, a lot more dry flies.
1: Okay. And that typically begins sometime in October. You don't know exactly when, but is there a rough time If you? said somebody was planning a trip, you know, with you for a day up there, you know, right now, would you say, you know, mid-October or you just don't know?
0: Well, I'd say anytime after October 1st. I mean, mid-October, you're in it for sure. Yeah, you are. You are, but you know, you you also say that hey, it could be a pretty nasty day in mid October. Uh, That hasn't been the case for the last ten years, but I'm still I'm still arguing back (laughs) to when we actually had falls in winter. But um, it it could start. It could start. uh, It could start in the first week of October for sure.
1: And and let's go to the fly box a little bit because you've mentioned a few. You mentioned this stone fly. We're talking about the October caddis or some other smaller caddis. What What's your box look like when you're getting ready for that October or if somebody was planning now for that October trip, what should their box, you know, and, and we could talk nymphs, right? Do you also have some uh, caddis nymphs that you use as well?
0: I, I got to be honest. I'm not, I'm not a big October caddis nymph, you know, to really imitate that bug. I, I haven't cracked that code or I haven't tried too hard. We sell a ton of those nymphs. Um, I thought that m- mostly it seems like they're for steelhead on the Rogue, but um, I, I I don't tackle that as much. Although I will say that you know one of our number one nymphs, and I, I'm sure this does a reasonable job of it, is like a an oversized posse bugger, which has become kind of a favorite fly for guides and anglers locally for many many years. And it was a it was a fly that Dave Hall created of Amqua when he was there when they had an excess of possum skins from uh, New Zealand or Australia, I forget where. And um, he, so it's like a possum body, but but I think the key to that fly and and to many October caddis nymphs is just that that black collar, that sort of that, that real contrast between the black head and the rest of the fly. So that's what I'm looking for in a nymph. And there are many specific October caddis um, nymphs, Andersons, and I think Morris has some and uh, some are just called a tungsten October caddis. I know, and rainy's got a stick caddis. And I think, I think many of them just need that contrast between head and body, whether it be uh, black to orange or black to tan. Uh, and, and they're oversized, of course, they're pretty big. So that's, I think, that's something that you would do earlier. So that's something I'm going to do in September more than I am going to be in October. Uh, you know, the one thing interesting about that hatch, and I, I'm Arlen could do more for it here, but it seems like those bugs come out and then they're around for a really long time sometimes, you know, the October caddis adult. So that that nymph is, you know, on an annual cycle, right? It's going to come out, it's going to be active and, you know, maybe late or well, mid-September all the way to emergence, let's say October 1st. And these are just rough dates, of course. But so that that's kind of your your nymph period, and then that that adult comes out. And then, as we talked about it, it's it's not always active on the surface, but it's available for a really long period of time to those fish. It's often very very late in the year when there are just like so many October caddis out on the surface. You're like, where do I start? But those those are rare days where where you really see a ton of those bugs on on the surface or or all laying eggs at once. So. I think, that's, I think that's kind of the cycle is to kind of look to nymph with a larger October caddis nymph uh, mid-September on and then and then move to the dry flies October 1 on. And if I'm going to nymph, uh, that's not one that I'll probably do as a hopper dropper just because those nymphs tend to be kind of eights. And, you know, I need, I need to dedicate myself to getting that fly down either into maybe using that October caddis as a bottom fly on a two-fly nymph rig, uh, where the upper, uh, you know, the up, up bottom fly is the October caddis, and up above that, I've got a smaller pheasant tail or, you know, sort of blue-winged olive type imitation or gray drake nymph imitation, which is just be just a general mayfly nymph in like a 14, 12, 14, something like that. So, that, that's how I would approach the, the the nymphing strategy to the October caddis. I'd do it earlier in the season than the adult, and I would dedicate myself to the bottom. And once I get to fall, if I'm going to use that October caddis as a hopper dropper, I'm probably going to go away from an October caddis nymph as my dropper just because it's so heavy. It's going to sink any dry fly virtually, even a chubby. I suppose a chubby would hold it up reasonably well, but I just don't think you need to. You can go to a a more slender um, Euro jig type nymph, uh, which just seems to murder them all the time anyway. I mean, and I just like that. I like the style of the fly. I'm not a huge, I mean, I obviously I teach it and I know how to do it and all that, but, but I just like the way those flies sink. And that's critical in the upper McKenzie or upper Willamette is that, you know, like drift boats flying down the river, how quickly can that nymph get in the bucket underneath the big dry fly? So those flies are just absolutely perfect for us.
1: Let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsor. Togans Fly Shop providing superior quality products at an affordable price, an amazing resource for fly tying materials, tools, and fly fishing accessories. Togans has you covered when looking for unique in-house products, but also supports and supplies materials and tools from other leading fly brands you know and trust. Togans is now offering their mystery fly tying box where they simplify the process for you in choosing materials. You're only one click away from these hand-picked subscription tying boxes that are packed with value at almost half the cost. And I recently made a order through Togans and the experience was perfect. After a uh, recent trip uh, nipping for Trout, I had to replace my tungsten beads and some jig hooks and a few other items. The products arrived in a couple of days from Togans with a nice little card, a bonus value, and a welcome note from the Togans family. Since 2005, Togans has been over-delivering on price and customer service, so it's time to discover for yourself what the buzz is all about. Head over to wetflyswing.com Togans and take a look at their diverse selection of products today. You can support this podcast by clicking over to take a look at Togans online. That's wetflyswing.com T-O-G-E-N-S. Togans. Okay, now back to the show yeah so you're not necessarily well, like you said, I mean you've got the tungsten bead on there, so that thing that's that's key for you getting getting your nips down and, and where you guys are fishing
0: yeah the the tungsten bead and now these uh what are these new things umqua calls them jig bombs, hairline calls them uh oh come on uh just something like that, but you know it's a little bit different than a traditional bead Have, yeah, so they're, they're really, they sink even faster.
1: Nice, nice. I'll put a link out in, uh, to that as well in the show notes. So, so this has this given us a good, now we talked a little about nymphs. Maybe, well, maybe just before we leave this nymph conversation, describe again that leader setup. So how, how does that look if you are fishing the big October with a small BWO or something else? How are you doing your leader?
0: Well, um, I per- personally, I've gone, I've, I, I hate to talk about this as a retailer. <laughs> Can I take a no comment? No, yeah. <laughs> I'm, 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 kind of, I, I'm kind of building my own leaders on on uh, that program. I'm I'm building a really short, stiff section. This is really designed for the for the local scene, but I'm sure it works everywhere. I'm going to either cut off a nine foot leader back, you know, cut sixty percent of it off, or I'm going to take two chunks of Maxima uh, 25 and 15, tie them together in a short section, tie a tippet ring on that so that I can go from 15 pound maxima to like four X. So it's that critical. that's the critical junction above the tippet ring. I'm going to tie a dropper line where my dry fly sits. And then below that at whatever depth you want, I'm going to have my Euro jig. Whatever. I mean, I'm talking, I'm talking hopper dropper leader here. If I'm going, if I'm going, I can, I can discuss the nymph leader too, if you want, but that it's, it's not going to be that much different, right? Because um, The key, the key is whatever you're using as your indicator below that, whether it be a dry fly or whether it be an indicator, the key is that transition between indicator and fly being as thin as it can possibly be. To, to relate to the Euro-style fishing, right? I'm not, I'm not Euro-style fishing with this rig because I'm often doing it out of a drift boat or I just don't want to do that. But I'm trying to get the sink rate to be max by using the smallest tippet within reason off that tippet ring
1: closest to my indicator. So basically, you're doing some like fluorocarbon for your tippet?
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I don't, I mean, that doesn't matter that much. These flies have gotten so heavy. If you're not into fluorocarbon, then I don't, you know, this is not a big deal. Yep. Just whatever. Just use 4X. use yeah.
1: 4X and a tippet ring.
0: Right. I mean, you, you know, years of old, I mean, very simply, we cut a nine foot 4X liter in half, blood knotted it together. That became the stopper, right? And now the dry flies above that stopper and the nymphs at the end of the nine foot 4X liter. Okay. That's, that's one way for someone to do it in, a, in this, that likes tapered leaders. The, 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 downside of that tapered leader is from your dry fly. Now that you've used to, above that stopper where you retied it together, you now have what 20 pound test. So you're trying to sink 20 pound test along with your jig. nymph. I'm not saying it doesn't work. It did work. because somehow we caught fish for years. Um, but but you know you can do it better. That's the point. But you cannot tie you know twenty pound whatever to four x with a conventional knot very well. Hence the tippet ring uh, transition.
1: That's why the tippet ring is so huge, is that it allows you to to do that. And 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 you're basically you said four x. So, so Ed, how long is your tip from that tippet ring down to your 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 fly or nip, your nip from the end?
0: Yeah, and I think that's an interesting, that's a good question, and, and um, it's it's often about only about four feet, uh, but it can be longer, uh, depending on the run, and to be truthful, I don't mess with it a whole lot. I kind of fish it till I go, oh, it seems a little too short, but in the fall, it almost never gets too short, and then I ask myself, why aren't you just tying it off the bend of the hook, and then I say, wait, casting that sucks. This, the system that I just discussed is way better because you're only casting that nymph and the dry fly simply along for the ride. So the I, I think I think that's the key to that. And I think to our discussion about the fall, shorter is fine. You know, four feet might be too long some days. Uh, don't don't need it. What what's happening in terms of developmental stages of insects in the late fall? It's winding down. We're seeing everybody that, that has emerged emerge or can, you know, we're at the tail end of it, blue wing dollars, gray drakes, October caddis, what's really going to emerge in December midges not important on the McKenzie. So I think you can, you can kind of say, Hey, that bottom range of the, of the river, um, you don't need to roll stonefly nymphs, I guess is my point. I'm not saying it won't work, but I think you can kind of elevate your whole system, whether it be just fishing a dry fly or when you do that hopper dropper, you know, shorten your
1: drop. And one final thing on that, so on that, what do you describe with the leader, so you have the tippet ring, and then if you are doing a hopper dropper, the hopper is above that tippet ring, and how is it tied on to the, to the leader? What, what sort of knot are you using to get the, the dry fly on there?
0: Well, I've done, I've experimented with both tying direct into the, the ring, which I don't like, or what I do is I tie a double surgeons or, um, fraction loop on a five inch piece of monofilament. It's not on anything. And then I overhand it over the top of the main line that leads into the overhand, that leads into the tippet ring. So it can slide because it's just a overhand loop, you know, but it doesn't because it's tight and it's jammed up against that tippet ring.
1: Okay. And then, and then, like you said, if you're doing a nip, if you're just take off the, The dry, you basically, you just take off the dry and fish that same setup as a nymph. Yeah, you could screw on one of those
0: airlock things and um, extend your leader and you're there.
1: Okay. Well, that gives us a little rundown there for both nymphs and dries. And yeah, I I guess, um, you know, anything else to shed any other big, uh, I mean, you've mentioned a number of different hatches, but I guess if we're thinking that early stone, you get some October caddis and then you get, obviously all the other caddis, right? Different sizes, the normal size 12s and 14s that are flying around like crazy. Are you still getting, are you getting big caddis hatches of those out there?
0: Uh, I mean, I don't know that I'd call them big, but they're substantial enough to get fish going. Uh, You know, as early as September, I'm fishing, uh, I mean, a size 14, like uh, Swisher's Dancing Caddis is a favorite. Uh, I just, I like that parachute really, you know, sort of almost overdressed smaller caddis that floats regardless you know i really i really think that i on the Mackenzie, and we've we've even created flies as a kind of our shop overdressed we call them heavy hackle parachute atoms or heavy hackle this and um that that is kind of a guide thing where you just don't want to mess with your fly you just want it to float so uh, that's my that's kind of my strategy on smaller caddis too. give me something that's got a good deer hair wing a good parachute hackle and is highly visible even in the fourteen sixteen range, um, and those are those are great patterns to, to be fishing all through the the setup. I mean, if I've got somebody that's struggling to cast a really big fly, and or I've got a fish that you know just is being a bit picky, and I need to fish a smaller, longer leader, I'll I'll put on a smaller caddis all through uh, September October and do well too. And even earlier, you know, I mean, this season I. I, with low water and warmer water earlier and I just kind of convinced myself that I needed to fish smaller flies more and, and dry flies. And I, that's what I did. I just, I fished a lot of parachute atoms and parachute caddis and, uh, they worked great.
1: And as you go into, so we were you know, we're talking October, November. At what point do you, I mean, does the fishing really slow down? I guess it slows down for dries, but are you guys fishing through the whole winter out there?
0: We're really lucky in that regard. Uh, as I said, uh, the lower Mackenzie, once those water temperature drops and assuming not a water blowout, we have fishing like right close to town all the way through November. If it's, if it's stable. Yeah. The key, the key is stability. I mean, the fish are there and they're not going to get washed around too much. Then the fishing is going to hold up all winter. But if
1: you get a big like November flood event, that changes it up. It really does. Yeah. So that's it. So if you have a a low, like this year, if you have a low stable, you know, like it's been, you know, not a lot of rain, pretty, you know, hot, and then it, it cools down slowly, you could be fishing all the way in front of right in town all the way through November, December sort of thing.
0: Absolutely. I would say that upper section that we talked about though, then you're dealing with water temperatures. And once those water temperatures really, yeah, once they really get cold, that's over for me around Halloween. I, I just, I struggle to I struggle to get those fish to move a lot beyond, beyond about Halloween now, but the lower reaches really good.
1: And also there's a, the lower reaches, there's the Eugene, but there's also, I mean, all the way down into say fishing towards like the lower McKenzie, right? Towards like where it goes under I-5. Is that still a, is that a decent section to be thinking about too? And
0: that's a great section. I mean, it's, it's, it's so underrated putting in an Armitage park, puts you in, in the McKenzie you're about a mile and a half from the confluence of the Willamette. And then you're so, so once you're through the McKenzie, you're now on the Willamette, a uh, proper main stem. And now you're going to float down through just tons of gravel bars uh, and and drop-offs and banks. And and there's a lot of, there's a lot, and of course it's super easy to boat. So anything, I mean, a paddleboard included virtually um, is, is safe. So beginning boaters, great section. You can take out on the river roadside, um, at a Hayes lane, or you can take out on the Coburg side, which I prefer to at a place called Christiansen
1: landing. And that's, that's
0: a great section of water.
1: So, yeah, there's tons of, so even through into December and then at some point, you know, I mean, I guess then you get into transition to really like blue winged dolls and winter time where it can get cold, but even then you might have mild winters, right? Through all the way through January, February.
0: Yeah, I mean I'd say that I'd say anglers need to look at those blue winged olives though in October. Um and, and and especially on the upper river too. Like that's those that's sort of your nasty day cold um bug and like we're we're out there cast, 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 can't find him, can't find him, can't get him to eat, but there's fish rising all around me. Well, you know, you look really closely and there's that size twenty sort of iron colored blue winged olive that you could barely see. Um, that happens in October, November for sure. Uh, I, I don't think it. Uh, not a lot happens after that. I mean, you you don't have too many hatches. I mean, we're going to start looking at blueing dollars olives again in February after after December.
1: No, that's good. That gives us a little taste of not only that upper river but kind of the lower. I, I want to touch on before we kind of wrap it up with some of the fishing. Um, I mentioned Jay Nicholas, and he was on way back. Uh, he was actually one of our first guests back in episode. Um, I think it was number three, right? We're at we're at two forty seven now wow. uh, on well, this one. So we've been going since uh, you know twenty seventeen and. And Jay's awesome. I know Jay, and he uh, right. He's been a big part. How, how did you meet Jay?
0: Gosh, um, I I just met him at the shop. I think. I mean, uh, I think him and Matt Stansbury, who I mentioned earlier, uh, the blog, um, you know, may have met through either like native fish. I mean, I, I honestly, I don't, ha- I can't peg it down precisely.
1: He was just there. You I mean, you. He like He's ingrained into the caddisfly shop he
0: is. And then like, I mean, he and I went out fishing and kind of talked about what, uh, he could do for me and, and I could do for him. And, and, uh, we've, we've been friends and colleagues ever since. And he, you know, not only has contributed to the blog, but it contributed to our website a lot. And, um, you know, has, has been great through, throughout since, you know, I can't remember exactly when it was, but let's say, you know, mid 2000 or 10, 10, you know, after, 2012 on, I suppose. Yeah, maybe
1: maybe earlier than that. So he's been going strong doing videos, right, that, that whole time?
0: Yeah, and he's, you know, also I think like um, he's been integral in some of those uh, sort of fisheries that we wish we had better conditions to attack. You know, his fishing out of Pacific City for you know, rock bass and salmon and, and stuff and on the fly, uh, you know, opened people's eyes to some fisheries that, maybe they didn't think of as often as they could have, um, and that, that he was, he was a great contributor to that as well.
1: That's right. So he, and, and then, so you have Jay and then are there other, I mean, a number of other people that are contributing, uh, the, the videos, the tying videos?
0: Well, lately we've, um, we, yeah, we've had some, uh, Justin Helm who works in the shop. Uh, I've had, uh, Alex Worth, who uh, it was, you know, like customer, fly tire, kids tennis coach, um, G- Jim Sens, who's a dedicated angler and fly tire, uh, he also ties some flies for the shop that we sell. Uh, Tony Torrance, who's uh, has kind of a, a similar history to the caddis fly that I do, although never really worked there a whole lot, but I've um, always been a um, contributor and advocate for the shop so to, yeah we've had some we've had you know you, that's why i always say about eugene too is that you know historically speaking like we have just had a lot of great um fly tires fishers in the community uh in in our in our kind of western oregon we've just been lucky that way you know to to have those guys
1: uh, i was thinking you know and this is recently i i'm not sure when this came out because you guys i post i guess jay you guys write different blog posts. Is, it, is there a, a mixture of people that write blog? Because you have the YouTube videos, but you also have the blog. Is that just kind of you and whoever or who's doing that mostly? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm... You're the main. I see your name out there on a lot of them.
0: I wish, I wish that I had some more contributions. It's a lot hard. I'm sure many people who do blogs or, or look for content understand how difficult it is to keep something like this going since 2008. It's rough. Um, but anyway, yes, I am doing all that now. Um, I love it when I get contributions from Jay and Matt and others, and, you know, I'm trying to get, uh, employees involved and trying to get them to do videos and, um uh, keep it fresh, but, uh, it, it's, it's, can be challenging and, uh, but I, I've been lucky to have all those guys do it and, and,
1: uh, you know, I gotta, I gotta stay on it. I know. <laughs> uh, that is it. Yeah, I mean, there's people, there's companies out there online that have whole teams of people and ambassadors, you know, that are writing and, and keeping the content. I mean, it's crazy, right, to think. Like Google, I, you know, you can look at the numbers, but it's so crazy to think how competitive it is to get on even on first page anymore for stuff.
0: That's one thing that I, uh, I it was funny. I had that whole, uh, the, the J article about fly names, right. That was a, that, that this, this, this sort of solidified my whole position on the internet for fortunately, I think I've kind of felt this way forever, but like, um, I remember kind of stressing about all the, the sort of hate discussion that happened after that. And I was like, then I just kind of came to this realization that, you know, if you're genuine in what you put out there, regardless of what it is. Okay. It's a conservation, a fishing post, a fishing discussion, a fly tank video. You know, it may not be the greatest quality, but if you're genuine, you're in, in your intent, I don't really want to, I don't want to discuss what you think of it beyond that. If I don't want to, I don't have to, it's my, it's my blog, my content, you know, I mean, it's not for, it's, uh, I'm not working for the national news. Um, So the, that, that's, and also the whole the whole ranking system about Google and all that you you can't worry yourself as much about that if what you're putting out is intentionally productive to the to the angling community or any community um, you know don't worry about it after that and and I haven't I mean I honestly I cannot grind those numbers out I, I don't have any desire to do it um, about analytics um, I I hope it's going okay it seems to be my my results speak in my in my business and lifestyle. So I'm, I'm not going to worry about it.
1: Exactly. No, I agree. I think, yeah, you look at the, you know, your key performance indicators or whatever, you know, I mean, if it's, if it's making money, you have a business. I mean, if you're growing the business, then who really cares about what the analytics of Google look like? I mean, it's, and as you
0: said, there's a lot of people that'll take your money, um, (laughs) try to help you. And I'm not saying that they won't. Um, but look at the, look at the long run too
1: yeah Yeah. no, I agree you just you, you know you put something out there that's valuable that's the bottom line and yeah sure. it's interesting you mentioned the uh, the Jay article because I know Kelly Gallup has been on um, the podcast a couple times and I know him just through the podcast and he's you know we've had great conversation. That was really interesting because I remember when I somebody mentioned that I think I might have posted about Kelly Gallup and somebody said, hey, you should check out this the Oregon fishing blog about <laughs> Jay's article and I was like, oh and I and I checked it out and I was like, well, <clears throat> it was kind of tough because I know both JN and and I was kind of thinking like the, the, and I've asked a couple of guests since then what, what their take was on the naming and stuff. But I mean, what's your, what's your take on, I mean, I guess J he had his take about it and there's other people, I mean, not to, and I only bring this up because I think it does provide some clarity for people that are into maybe tying flies and what all this, this history is about. But, you know, do you have a take either way as far as the naming? It seems like, um, you know what do you think about or maybe just talk generally about that article because i know that kind of went viral right
0: yeah that was it was wild um but no you know my, my take is in terms of the overall is just can we do better on the naming and and to me the answer is yes so i don't i don't have a, a take on who why here how what whatever i just just you know can we can we do a better job of being thoughtful in our content and in produce whatever we're doing artistically or otherwise, and you know that I think I think that's the gist of the article. Um, I, I so the 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 part that was weird as the blog manager, and the part that nobody got to see so much was you know the the kind of troll type comments, and I I think it's just sort of a societal issue at the moment. Um, maybe it's always been there. But I I think that was a a really interesting kind of learning experience for me. Like I said, you know, I just, you know, I just, you have to just kind of block that stuff out and say, you know, how much of this is really um, for real, (laughs) you know, how much of this sort of hate speech is for real. And I don't, I really honestly don't think, I think there are some people who are looking to sort of engage and I did not engage. And so I I feel like um, that's the right way to play
1: it. I agree. I I think that, um, yeah, I think there was some comments out there from whoever that were like, yeah, you're, you're, you know, monitoring, you're not, you're letting away the comments you go through. But I agree. It's like, I mean, you know, Jay wrote this article um, and, you know, if there are trolls out there, which there are, you know, there are people that are trying to do this, trying to stir up stuff, then why would you want that to be? That's not helping anything. I think, and the point you said about moving on is what, I think everybody agrees on the Kelly, you know, the Kelly Gallup thing. It's like, you know, that was a time ago, right? That was back whenever he created those and it was a different time. You know, it's the healthy. comedians, I've I've had the, the some comedians talk about this. I've heard some famous comedians say, you know, it's like Eddie Murphy, right? You go back in the 80s. There's nobody doing Eddie Murphy comedy or what, you <laughs> know what right. I mean? Like, it's just not happening. But then it was, it was people did it. And, and that's the same thing with these naming things. Like Kelly isn't naming his flies whatever porn name anymore. You know, I mean, it's not the same. We're not in the same, you know, deal. So anyways, I appreciate you talking about moving on because I think that's a great take on the whole thing.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's how we, we've all got to learn to do better every day. That's, that's it. You know, that's, that was the message.
1: Yeah. And, and did that, did that article, I mean, when you look at, I guess, maybe you didn't even look at the analytics, but I mean, did you just see just by the comments, the your comments, how much more viral it went compared to other posts? Oh yeah. I mean, it wasn't close.
0: Absolutely. You know, and, and that's where I reached out um, to someone in sort of the business of, you know, as, as a business, are you worried about what the um, possible um, you know, results of you putting this kind of content out there. Do you want to mitigate that or do you want to just kind of live with it and go with it? You know, and, and you can break that down further to say, are you worried about losing customers over this uh, or not? Right. I mean, that's the and And do you want to do something or say something that would, uh, you know, stop or sort of try to mitigate what some of these people are saying? And, you know, that's a tough one. That's a tough call for any business. You know, I know some businesses this fall are going through this, you know, do I wear a mask or not? Or do I have my customers wear a mask or not? You know, it's kind of the same thing. Like if, if businesses want to take a stand, you know, I just, I just applaud those who are willing to take your stand. Okay. Just whatever, whatever you believe in, go for it. You know, you can have these people tell you that you're never going to shop with you. They're never going to, I hope you got a business in six months on and on and on. Uh, You know, that, you got to just stick to your guns. Don't, you know, and, you know, and I think again, just being genuine in your, uh, in what you believe is, is gonna, is gonna hold up.
1: Just to wrap that up. I mean, you could look at a number of different examples, the Orvis stuff with that 50 50 movement when that started, you know, it was a similar deal. They got tons of hate mail and, and, and like all sorts of weird stuff. And you're like, wow, I mean, people are against, uh, you know, women, <laughs> Women in fly fishing, it's like, wow, these are the people. So I just look at it like for you, for a business owner. And, you know, that, I mean, those definitely aren't the customers you want anyways, right? So it's not like you're losing anybody who's, you know what I mean? Somebody well, who yeah, and that's
0: yeah, that's what I want all businesses to understand is that those people probably weren't your customers anyway. Those true, those really hateful comments are, those are, those are people that are doing that to stir the pot. That's it.
1: Yeah, I think, I think you handled well. And I, and I love it because, you know, that article went out there, you had no idea what sort of how it was going to resonate, but you, you know, you published it, you know, and people came back and got crazy, but it, it got people talking, you know, I mean, so, so that's a good thing. Um, yeah, I think so. Okay. Um, yeah, I just want to wrap this up. So we, um, I have a little segment called the two twenty two top tips, uh, flies and resources, and we've, we've nailed uh, a number of these things, but maybe we can just start off with the uh, top flies again. Let's take it back to like mid October. So if you have to pick two flies, and you may have mentioned them, but what what are those two that you have to fish with in your box? Well, I want to have a Moorish
0: foam October caddis as my dry fly. If I if I have to uh, pick another dry, it's going to be just a heavy hackle parachute Adams. That's going to be a winner throughout. Uh, uh, if I'm going to go subsurface, it's going to be a nymph, uh, a modern nymph uh, with like a year a jig, and there's a lot of great ones out these days. We'll go with one of our local ones, which is called Jigged Posse Bugger, and that's a great all-around nymph for everything uh, on the Mackenzie all year long. But it's gonna it's gonna continue to work through the fall.
1: And are you guys ever even thinking about um, uh, wet flies at all, or any of that sort of stuff? Is it more just dry surface or down below?
0: Well, we we're, we talked about a section of river that kind of dictated some of that discussion, how, uh, and that being the Upper Mackenzie. So. If I'm, I mean, I can't tell you how much great swing water we have on the Mohammed in the lower reaches. It's so killer. So, yes, uh, I love a a orange soft hackle in the fall. I love a dark, let's go back, let's go back to the, just the original old school wet flies. Let's go to a a dark Cahill wet. I mean, great fly. Uh, I loved a a sort of a a thread body wire ribbed partridge hackle like Sylvester Neem style uh soft hackle, with it can be a gray it could be yellow could be orange body swinging that in the lower Mackenzie is so good you know i mean you know you just got to avoid the leaves in the late fall and you're catching fish and there's a tremendous cutthroat population in that lower river and they absolutely crush wet flies and and i'll i'll even you know we did that discussion about the leader i'll even use that leader i'll use that same leader and on my upper fly upper wet fly will be like an oversized um orange soft tackle and and then down below it i'll have something a little bit smaller and you can incorporate a you can incorporate like a brass bead or something that's not just crazy heavy in that upper fly that's going to slow the swing. but oh man we have some great swing water in lower mckenzie it's just not it's just not in that upper river where it's just steaming downhill because of the elevational drop you need to get down below the dam and ideally you're even lower let's you know, from Hendricks Park all the way to the confluence of the Willamette, if we're talking Mackenzie and then beyond, that is this primo swing water. Uh, and, and honestly, from a biological standpoint, in terms of spawning habitat and holding some of the l- overall largest fish in the Mackenzie Basin, Hendricks Bridge to the confluence is, is it.
1: Definitely. Okay. And, and are you guys using uh, like Koffler drift boats? What's your drift boat of choice?
0: We are using Kaffo drift boats. I think almost everybody uh, in our in our staff
1: is. Uh, That's right. You kind of have to. They're they're right next door. They're they're yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well. Joe does a great job. Yeah. 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 He's got a great boat. And awesome. He
0: kind of knows our um our what we, how we do it. Yeah.
1: Are you doing the sixteen uh, like by the the smaller boat or the what are you doing for your size?
0: Mine is sixteen six fifty two. So I think it's a boat that uh, Ken Helfridge designed for the Middle Fork of the Salmon and. Uh, yeah. And it's, it is just ideal for the upper river and dodging and rocks side to side, sort of like that middle fork of the salmon in a similar way. And so we don't, you know, I'm not running a 54 wide boat anymore. I did growing up. Uh, and even before that, I just had a 1648, you know, just the classic McKenzie style drift boat, but these a little bit longer boats kind of are, are great, uh, to just both distribute weight and get quick side to side.
1: That's awesome. Yeah. And I'm glad you mentioned uh, Helfridge. I was talking to him. We, we did a little mini series, mini podcast series on the drift boats. And we had, uh, I think we got about 15 episodes on the whole history and, um, even got into some of the Grand Canyon, those dories. It was really, really cool. So I'm hoping to get Helfridge, um, him on as well to, to keep that story going. So, um, okay, well let's, uh, and let's take us to back to the 222. So now we're up to, um, some tips. So two tips. If we're in the drift boat, we're floating down river, we're with you. You know, we got the flies, say it's mid-October, somewhere in there. What, what sort of tip would you give me or somebody out there fishing to help them get into a fish?
0: Uh, well, if you're, in the, if you're in the front of the drift boat, I want you looking ahead all the time. And I want you casting downstream, at least, uh, at least down from my oar lock. Uh, if we're headed down and you're fishing the right bank, I want you downstream enough so that we're working together. I don't want you casting behind the boat because now we're dragging the flies downstream. So that's number one. Um, the other is out of a drift boat is I don't need too much fly line on the water. So the more fly line you have between you and your flies and the, uh, and conceivably the bucket the, that you've cast into the more drag that we're going to have. That's going to pull those flies out of there. So I need a, a high rod tip and line management, both from, well, I mean, entirely from the, from the hand to the fly, meaning less line on the water when you make amend. Uh, sometimes just holding that line up off the water, uh, not not trying to get uh, that kind of, you think of a slower moving flat water situation where you're trying to get that perfect drag free drift, you're just ripping the line off the reel. I'm going to stay shorter and less line on the water for you to get an effective drift. And so, I, yeah, I, I want to kind of keep that fly going as slow as possible.
1: And are you just using typically if somebody rod wise just nine foot five weight or is there another setup to use there?
0: Yeah, a nine foot five weight is fine. Yeah, a little longer rod. Uh, sometimes guys that prefer that it's it's pretty deadly. Like kind of what I just my discussion just just there about keeping line off the water and keeping that drift. But uh, that, that long rod is pretty sweet.
1: Okay. So that gives us a little firepower there. And then just on resource, you mentioned probably the best one, the, um, uh, the bug water. Is there another resource or somewhere where you would direct me, it could be a book, magazine, a video, anything where somebody could dig in more into that fall fishing or even focused on the caddis?
0: Well, I'd say Oregon fly fishing blog and October caddis. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, Arlen is a good one. I mean, anything Dave Hughes has ever written about caddis flies is good because, because Dave knows our area, fishes in our area. Um, so Uh, you know, that's I know that he may not be as, uh, you know, recent as everything he's written about October Cadus is fantastic. Um, you know, and I, and I don't want to discount Randall Kaufman and his, his, uh, orange stimulator. It's just not, you know, that it's a great fly. Uh, and and so I would, I wouldn't, uh, I probably wouldn't go out there without having a a stimulator. It's just that there's modern bugs to discuss. Um, so those, those are really good guys that have, uh, been fishing in our area for a long time and, and it's still, those are
1: still really effective flies
0: and tactics for sure.
1: And that stimulator, that orange bi, I mean, could that just as easy imitate that, that October caddis?
0: It would, no question.
1: Uh, I haven't talked to Randall yet, but I think that'd be a cool to get him on and hear the the history of some of those flies. Obviously he was a big, it's kind of interesting, right? He was a big influence for a long time. And then you know sometimes people disappear um you know out of the out of the the world so it feels like you know but uh but you're sticking around right you've been doing this a while. What's your plan as you you know I'm not sure how many years you've been doing this um you know what is the next say you know outlook for you ten years or so look are you gonna keep doing the same well i I think so <laughs>
0: um it's been it's been awesome um my kids are fourteen and sixteen um I'm getting them to fish around and row around and um so that's, uh, I want to make sure that they're, uh, through high school and all set in college. And, um, I, I really like to travel and fish and that's what I've been doing for, for a while. And I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep doing that. I might just do do it a little bit more.
1: Are you guys doing some of the, the trout, just like destination stuff around the world sort of thing?
0: hmm Mm-hmm.
1: And of course we had the lodge in New Zealand for seven years. So that was, that
0: was what I did in the winter time from 2013 to 2020.
1: Oh amazing. Dang, that's like quite a like, excursion. So you guys had trips um and then like just set up tricks, books, trips to to, to the lodge there? Yeah, we had a lot of it. we had we had
0: some local customers, but I mean ninety ninety plus percentage of our our customers were from the United States, but all over. Nothing no no specific location. But I mean uh Cedar Lodge was one that um really had always promoted to the US uh clients and and so that's we were we were open from November first to April first, roughly. And um that was uh, was purchased by a company called Eleven Experience in two thousand. Yeah. So
1: Yeah, we know Eleven. I had um trying to think we had at least one one guest talked about them. Yeah, they 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 got some good stuff going.
0: And so I'm I'm done with that and uh been and been wintering um a little bit in the desert where my daughter plays tennis, uh, but also traveling to fish from there. And yeah, that's the plan for the for now is to kind of stay an eternal summer. Like, once you get hooked on that, it's difficult to, uh, to uh,
1: get away from it. I know that's the thing. When you live in Oregon long enough, you, you kind of have to start to find your summers. You can't, you know, you can only take so much rain, right? <laughs> exactly. Although man, this year is, we haven't had any. I know that's the thing. Yeah. It, it, you start to think like, well, maybe, maybe you don't have to go anywhere in the winters as, as this feels like climate change is continuing to keep things warmer and, and less, um, well, I don't know if it's less uh, rain. I think it's the same amount of rain, it's just that it comes in big pa- big batches all at once. That's right. I mean, I think we're due. We're so overdue. Yeah, we're due for a major a major event. We really are. Yeah, major season. Yeah, it'd be nice to get things moving this uh, this winter. Cool. Well, I think Chris, that's about That's about it for you. Um, I guess we'll direct people out to caddisflyshop.com or the Oregon Fishing Blog if people want to connect with you. That'd be awesome. Okay. Hey, one last quick one. I, I did want to miss this. We've got a little uh, music, a little random uh, section here. We've got a, a, a blog or a, a Spotify channel for the podcast guest. Do you have a, a a band or type of music you like to listen to? We could add to the mix. Oh man, uh, <laughs> I'm so. Uh, let's see. Are you, are you a big music? Are you more a music guy or more a podcast? No, guy?
0: no, no, not at all, not at all. Um, I'll have to email you that.
1: Okay, email it to me. I'll I'll, I'll <laughs> check back with you on it. I'll, yeah, I'll
0: consult i with my music music people here.
1: Yeah, talk to your music. This will be more of a cat is fly shop uh, uh, selection. And right now, if it's at wetflyswing.com dot com slash music, uh, we can all go check out. We got a, a good random mix from a bunch. I got
0: to shout out to Chris Chris Santella. He 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 must be the music that I would have used, wouldn't he? Has anybody ever used his music? Chris Santella. Yeah. Oh, have you ever had him on a podcast? No. Oh man, you got to have Chris on.
1: Oh, now who's Chris? Chris Is a just a, a fly fishing musician?
0: No, no, no. Chris is a author of Fifty Greatest Places to Fly Fish Before You Die, but that would be the work that we'd be most familiar with. But has written a ton of stuff.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that definitely. That's a huge, huge book. Okay. He's got a band, and I don't even know what it's called. So,
0: <laughs> but I'll I'll email you.
1: <laughs> good, good. Yeah, everybody. It seems like everybody, there's a lot of people that, even Haefley, right? I don't know if you do. Haefley used to have a band back in the day. I think he played the drums. So cool. I didn't classic. know that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, Chris, well, I'll let you get out of here. Thanks again for taking the time today and shedding some light on some fall fishing. I hope uh, those people connect with you this fall when this thing gets out. And uh, yeah, man, we'll find some fish. Thanks again. Thank you, Dave. Have a great day. So there you go. If you want to find all the show notes, all the links, and everything else we covered today, head over to wetflyswing.com slash 257, uh, If you found some help or use or benefit in this podcast, it'd be great if you could leave a review. Uh, you can head over to wetflyswing.com slash L-O-V-E. L-O-V-E, love. We'll get you there and uh, show some love and support for the show. I would appreciate that. That is pretty much a wrap for today. Uh, We had a good time digging in a little bit on the October caddis from the caddis fly shop. Uh, Always fun to talk about that. So hope hope you found some goodness in this one. And uh, just want to say thanks again for being a listener and following us and and showing your support uh, and taking the time to uh, share this out. That's that's how we've done it over the years. It's been uh, mostly, I don't know exactly, but I think it's been mostly a word of mouth sort of thing. So I hope to see you on the river, uh, maybe online or uh, maybe in a fly shop. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. For notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com.